0: Before we get to that, I want us to talk briefly about what baptism is and why we do it. Because some of you, when you hear the word baptism, will think christening or, you know, that's something involving sprinkling some water on a baby's head. And, and if you know them, you'll know that, that actually Elspeth and George and Jed, although they're not well advanced in years, none of them are babies, And you'll also see when we head over to the other side of the site in a few moments that we're not going to be sprinkling their heads. (laughs) They're going to get a lot wetter than that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about why we do that and what that means. And we also are going to look together briefly at the story of someone in the Bible whose name we don't actually know, but who was baptised. And so we're going to read some verses from Acts 16, and we're going to look at this man's story together. But I just want to give you a bit of background. Now, Paul, who was a first century Christian leader, had gone on mission and was in a place called Philippi to tell everyone there who would listen to him about the good news of Jesus. And Paul was there with a group of friends. He was there, actually probably with Luke who wrote this account because Luke says we went and so that gives us a clue that he was with them and another chap called Silas and perhaps some others amongst them and they were going around the city of Philippi telling people about all that Jesus had done. We've just sung about the wonder of his mercy Well, they were walking around Philippi telling people about the wonder of of the mercy of God in the person and work of Jesus. And people were responding to that message and saying, I, I want in. I want to know God. I want to receive that mercy for myself. And that wasn't popular with everyone. And actually, the verses we're going to read today come just off the back of them doing that. And a mob getting pretty cross about what had happened and what they were proclaiming. And they've just been basically surrounded and beaten by an angry mob because they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And they end up in prison. The jailer put them in the very most secure bit of the prison, in the inner cells. This is maximum security. And... He went above and beyond, and he tortured them. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today from Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in prison, having been beaten by an angry mob, and then tortured by their jailer. And we read this from Acts 16, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off the jailer woke to see the prison doors wide open he assumed the prisoners had escaped and so drew his sword to kill himself this is a dramatic scene that they're in prison Having been beaten and tortured, they're worshipping God. And as they do so, there's a huge earthquake and the prison's shaken and the doors open. And the jailer wakes up to see this and his response is to go to kill himself. Well, that's because he was to guard them with his life. And if they had escaped, his life would be forfeit in their place. And so he thought, well, I don't want to be taken to task for not having done my job properly. I'd rather do it myself than have someone else do it to me in a much more cruel way. And so that's what's going on. Paul shouts to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer calls for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Imagine being in this guy's position. He knew why they were in prison for proclaiming that there's a way to know God, to know freedom, fullness of life, to be truly free. He knew that because of proclaiming that message, they'd been badly beaten and he also knew that he'd then tortured them. And in spite of all of that, they'd worship God. And it would seem God had acted by opening up the prison doors so they could walk free. And instead of doing that, they stayed in prison. It's amazing, isn't it? What do you think? I think that's staggering. These guys have done nothing more than proclaim good news. They get beaten and tortured and put in prison and still worship God, and then their opportunity for freedom comes, but because they know that if they escape, the jailer's life is forfeit, they stay there. They give up their freedom to spare his life, and the jailer knows that. And seeing that that's what they've done, And knowing why they'd done it. Because their hope wasn't in being free from prison. Their hope was in what they'd been saying to everyone out on the streets of Philippi. It was an eternal hope. It was a hope in the finished work of Jesus. He asked them the most important question anyone could ever ask. We read from verse 30. He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you are confronted with the reality of God, as this Philippian jailer was, if you are confronted with the possibility of true freedom, freedom from guilt and shame, freedom to know life in all its fullness, The kind of freedom that actually means you can be content staying in prison. Then the only sensible question to ask is the one he asks. How can I have that? How can I have that for myself? How can I know that kind of freedom that's content in chains? How can I know that kind of freedom that regardless of the circumstances of life, you're going to worship? How can I have that kind of freedom, that kind of hope? That means you'll still praise God. You'll still sing a hallelujah, even in those kind of circumstances. And so he asked them, how can I experience it? How can I have what you guys have got? And the answer is gloriously simple. They answer him. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. By the way, that doesn't mean that when he believed, everyone in his house is automatically a Christian. Okay? Just saying the good news is for them as well. It's not just for you. They can hear. They can believe. They can receive it too. The answer is simple. Believe in Jesus. Those words believe are really important. They mean put your whole trust in Jesus. Lean on him fully. Don't rely on your ability to be good enough. Don't rely on anything else. Don't trust in your circumstances or your wealth or whatever else it might be. In their case, your freedom. Trust in him. Put your hope In Jesus. And the jailer gladly does exactly that. We read on from verse 32. They shared the word of the Lord with him. That means they told him more about what Jesus had done for him. And with all who lived in his household, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Had that jailer done anything to earn his forgiveness or salvation? You can answer. No, he hadn't. He simply put his faith in Jesus. He trusted, as did the rest in his household when they'd heard the good news too. Now, did Paul and his companions wait for a long, long time for that jailer to prove that he was good enough to be baptized, that he was a good enough Christian? No! It was the same night. Now, that's not to say that there wasn't evidence of a change in his heart. Because clearly there was, right? Think about the start of the story. He begins off by torturing them. In verse, slightly earlier, I'm trying to think exactly where in Acts. Well, I was going to say in verse 25. That's where we started reading. It's more like verse 20. 23. There you go. Thank you, Dave. (laughs) He'd gone from torturing them in verse 23. Ten verses later, in verse 33, what does he do for them? He bathes their wounds and cares for them, feeds them. There's clearly a change in this guy's heart that's occurred. There always is when people come to Jesus, there's always a change. When you meet Jesus, you don't be a good person to come to Him. Notice that the order of things. The jailer put his trust in Jesus, and things changed. In response to that, in knowing the mercy of God, He extended mercy to Paul and Silas. There's always a change. He welcomed them into his home, and he and his whole family celebrated that they'd believed in God because of what that meant for them. Real freedom. And these three who are going to be baptized today are like that Philippian jailer. And every other person who's been through the waters of baptism, they aren't perfect. I'm confident of that. If you know them, I'm sure you're confident of that too. I know grandparents, you might have a slightly kind of rosy view of your grandchildren if they're being baptized, but maybe not. (laughs) They're not perfect. They haven't done something to earn the mercy of God, but they've gladly, joyfully, like that jailer, put their trust on him said, I'm I'm not trusting in myself to be good enough. I'm leaning my weight on Jesus. I'm trusting him. I'm hoping in him. They have believed. And it's made a difference in their lives. And they're going to talk to us about that in a moment. And today, as we baptize them, we're going to celebrate. Just like the Philippian jailer and all of his family celebrated that night. See, it's not a dry religious act when we baptise these three. It's going to be a moment of celebration. I'm hoping there's going to be cheering and applause. We're going to celebrate because it's good news. But what are we going to do? Well, the word baptism is a strange one because it doesn't have a a single kind of English equivalent. It's not been translated fully from the original Greek word into English, but it just means to dip, immerse, plunge, or make fully wet. Make fully wet. We're not going to sprinkle them, we're going to baptize them. We're going to make them fully wet. We are going to submerge them under the water and bring them back up again. And that explains the what is going to happen, the practical action. But it doesn't help us understand what baptism is, what's happening when we do that. Because it's more than just getting wet. The water isn't holy water. We just got it out of a tap over there, it went through a hose. In fact, you probably don't want to drink it. (laughs) There's nothing remarkable about the water, it doesn't have any special powers. No marvel action going on like you guys are. You're going to get wet in pretty ordinary water. And it doesn't make you a Christian, which I know you three know because we've talked about this. But baptism is a picture. It's an outward sign or a symbol of a spiritual reality that's taken place for these three, and that's what we're celebrating. It's a powerful picture a visual and public demonstration of something that's happened to them it could be likened to a wedding ring if you're not married and you stick a wedding ring on does it make you married no and if you're not a Christian if you haven't put your trust in Jesus lent your weight on him placed your hope in him then getting wet this afternoon won't make you a Christian. But it's a meaningful and helpful indication and a reminder of your new life in Jesus, just like a wedding ring is a very helpful reminder for those who are married of the love that they share as husband and wife. Any of you who are married will know that. That will be precious to you. There are several other things about baptism. See, water has always been used around the world throughout history for dirty people to get clean. Water is used for washing. And baptism is symbolic of washing. It's a picture of people who are stained by sin and rebellion against God being made clean by the finished work of Jesus. We're going to celebrate that this afternoon. It's also a picture of death and resurrection, which might be a strange one. But when you go down into the water, it's like saying, I'm dying to my old life, Jesus, just as you died for my sins. And when you come up out of the water, it's saying, I've been raised to new life with Jesus, just as you Raised from the dead, Jesus, that I might have that hope of life with you. We get baptised as a way of identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. These three, Jed, Elspeth, and George, this afternoon they're saying to you all, I've died to trying to live my own way. I've died to trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. I've died to thinking that I know best. And I'm raised to new life with Jesus, to trusting wholly in him, to receiving the life that he's given to me. And whilst the water doesn't do anything other than probably make you a bit cold (laughs) and really wet, we believe that the Spirit of God does. And actually, as a Christian, there's an act of obedience when we've put our hope in Jesus of saying, I want to obey you in being baptised. Scripture teaches us, Jesus taught us to be baptised as he was baptised. And so as a Christian, we want to be obedient to him in the whole of our lives. And that begins with being obedient in the waters of baptism. And as we do that, we believe that the Holy Spirit meets with us, and fills us, and equips us to continue in obedience to him. And so we're going to pray for these three to that end this afternoon as we baptize them. Is that okay? Good.